Welcome, everybody. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. I want to welcome everybody online. Thank you for joining us as well. If you can't be here in person, we really, really appreciate you joining us online and uh, being a part of it this way. Uh, we are starting a brand new series today, and it is called Making Christianity, Making Christianity Great Again. Now, I know <laughs> right away some of you think this is political. But just so you know, it's red and blue, okay? Now, we know Donald Trump is using this uh, for his thing because, because it's just a great statement for America, that his whole thing is to make America great again, which is true. America needs to be made great again because, here's the fact, that everything kind of deteriorates over time. And I think every one of us know it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, that America is uh, constantly in change and stuff. And... I think that, that sometimes we need to get back to what was the idea, what is this about, you know, trying to make it great again because everything kind of deteriorates. And uh, it's, not, it's, not, it's, it's not just America that this happens to, it's everything. Everything that we go through. As a matter of fact, it's the second law in thermodynamic. Thermodynamics, uh, the second law is entropy. What entropy means is that everything left alone will deteriorate, that everything falls apart, everything drifts from its original. Have you ever, if you're raising kids, you have your kids, you bring them all together, hey, man, we got, well, this is terrible, you get them back together. Listen, this is what you need to do. Every morning when you wake up, you have to put your clothes here, and you got to go brush your teeth, you got to do that, and they'll do it great for a week. One week, man, they'll do it great. But then by week number two, what happened? They're already you know, not doing it. It's, it's true at work. It's true with everything in our lives. Everything kind of deteriorates. Everything changes. Everything drifts from the original intent and the original purpose. And Christianity is no different. Christianity, if, if we don't keep trying to make it great again, if we don't keep going back to the purpose and what is this thing all about, we will drift. As a matter of fact, I can't even imagine, uh, and if you know any kind of uh, like Christian history at all, in the 1500s, Christianity was selling indulgences. The church was selling indulgences. And indulgence was forgiveness of sin. They were actually selling for money forgiveness of sin. Hey, pay me so much. Oh, really? You did this? Well, 1200 bucks. You can get out of that. You know? Like, here's, here's the thing. You've got to think about this. How in the world did it ever get to that? Think about it. How in the world did the church ever get to the place where they're actually selling forgiveness of sins for money? And that's where Martin Luther came in, John Calvin after that. You know, you, you've heard the great Reformation. Really what that was about was making Christianity great again. It was really that from time to time we need to make Christianity great again. Because why? It slips into other things. It just starts turning into what it wasn't originally planned for. It just kind of moves and takes on different ideas and, and this isn't a new thing. It was actually since the very, in the, in the first century when the church was just beginning. The Apostle Paul wrote 13 letters to about 10 different churches. And when he wrote these 
letters in just about every one of them. As a matter of fact, in every one of them, it's not as direct, but he says it. But in his letters, and, and this was in the first century, these are churches that he started, and a few years later, he writes a letter to them and said, what happened to you guys? You started out right, and now you're already here. Who, in one letter he says, who has bewitched you? Who in the world came in and took this idea and said that? And he was always correcting people. He was bringing them back. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You're getting off track already. It doesn't take long. You were getting off track of Christianity and you were making it something that it isn't. So we need to bring Christianity back to being great, back to what it was all about. And here's what's interesting, very, very interesting. Even us in this room or you're watching online, I would bet that many of us have already lost track of what Christianity is all about. It's turned into other things. It's turned into other things so much that some of us may not even know for sure. You, you may not know. You may, well, I, I heard this, and it's kind of this, and you know, kind of this is what we do. And, and, and really, what is it about? And, and I just want to like, challenge all of us and say, do, do we really know what this is about? Because because so oftentimes it's turned into other things. And it's just kind of a, a short little list of just some things I could think of that, you know, uh, that I think our, our people believe today. They, they really believe that Christianity is, is all about making my life easier. Are you there? Christianity is about making my life easier. Man, I hear some TV preachers and, man, I can have brand new cars and a whole bunch of stuff and lots of money and a yacht and all that stuff. Uh, that's not what Christianity is about. And maybe some of us actually have started to believe that or we're told that. I don't know how it got that far off, but that is not what Christianity is about at all. Maybe some of us think that Christianity is about world peace. So, well, isn't that what Jesus came to? Isn't Christianity like just to bring world peace and no more wars and things like that? And I mean, that's a great thought. That's really nice. That is not what Christianity is about. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said, you will always have wars. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Jesus Christ himself said this, don't get the wrong idea. I did not come to bring peace on the world. Peace in the world. I did not come to bring peace in the world, but rather to bring a sword. That he would bring division. What Jesus said is, I've come to bring truth, and that's going to divide people. He did not come to bring world peace peace. It's a nice idea, and I wish we had it, but that's not what Christianity is about. Maybe it's to save the planet. I know a lot of spiritual movements, you know, are to save the planet, you know, and, and make everything. Again, a good idea. I hope somebody can save this planet, but I don't know for how long. It doesn't matter that much, and it's a different topic, but no, Christianity is not at all about saving the planet at all. Christianity does teach about being responsible with stuff. That's that's thing. Uh, some people think that Christianity is about feeding, housing, and clothing people who have none. Boy, now you're going, isn't that what Christianity is about? No, uh, it's really not. Uh, I think this is something Christians can do. I think this is something that Christians should be. There's, there's so much more to that. Jesus taught that. The Apostle Paul taught that. That sometimes we should feed, house, and clothe, but not always. And uh, That's not what Christianity is about. Maybe Christianity is about observing holy days. Maybe about, you know, hey, Christianity is about, you got it, there's these certain days that are more godly than other days. 
that is not what Christianity is about. Jesus said, hey, any days, every day is the same, okay? There, there's no such thing as this day is more holy than that day. There, there's just no such thing. Somebody made that up. You know, it's just, it's not Christianity. And some of you think Christianity is not saying S-H-I-T. I know that. Some of you think that's Christianity. If you say that, you're not a Christian. Listen, these things are not what Christianity is about. And I hope that during this series, as we talk, spend a few weeks talking about making Christianity great again, I hope that at least you and I can work on making Christianity great again, that we can get back to what is Christianity all about in our own lives and helping other people to understand what Christianity is all about, what this, what this whole thing's about. And I hope that we can do that. Making Christianity great again starts with first understanding what this whole thing's about. The Bible. It's a big book. Uh, this whole book is like one continuous story. This book is all about God's relationship with mankind. This tells us all about God and why he created human beings. What was the purpose for creating human beings? The very beginning, it says that God created the heavens and the earth, and he created all those things. He didn't create them for his own enjoyment. He created them to create man, to have a place for mankind to live. Perfect place. Garden of Eden, perfect. Everything was absolutely perfect. It never rained. Some of you didn't know that. The Garden of Eden never rained, never had a storm cloud. There was never lightning. There was none of that. God's intention in creating Adam and Eve was for a personal relationship. That out of everything God created, he did not relate to animals, trees, oceans, sky, all that stuff. So he chose to make a human being in his own image and his own likeness for the purpose of relationship. Not for the purpose of serving him. God did not create Adam and Eve so they would serve him. God created angels for that. God has millions of angels that serve him and do his stuff. God did not create Adam and Eve to serve him. He created Adam and Eve so that he could be with them. Literally to be with them. There was no other purpose except God wanted to share life with mankind. The Bible tells us that every single day that God walked with Adam, that he walked with them, talked with them. They spent time together. They enjoyed each other's company. They enjoyed each other's relationship. God created Adam and Eve absolutely perfect like God was so that he could relate to them, connect to them, fill them, be with them. Sometimes, a lot of times, of what we think about like for eternity, that boy, you go to heaven, you get to be with God. God created Adam and Eve to be with him forever. It was never his plan that there would be this end of life and that we would leave this body and go to heaven. God's intention was Adam and Eve and mankind to walk with him, be with him, experience him for eternity. That Garden of Eden was going to last forever. It was, that was God's plan forever. But something happened. Most of us know the story. Adam and Eve sinned. They it sounds like a simple sin. They took some fruit that they weren't supposed to. 
It's not a simple sin. They rebelled against God and what God said. That's what they did. They were deceived. They were tricked by the enemy. But they made a conscious decision to sin against what God said. And God said this, the day you sin, you will surely die. This relationship that we live in and we walk in and we enjoy each other's company all the time. It's not God is in heaven and you are here. God is with you all the time and in a part of your life and enjoying you. And when you sin, it's not like God's angry and he's going to judge you. It's more, it's more like this. And this isn't a perfect analogy, but it's more like this. When God said they were plugged into God, it's like plugging in something into an outlet. And when you sin, you will be unplugged. I'm not damning you. I'm not cursing you. I'm not you know, judging you. It is a result. It's a byproduct of when you sin against me, I can no longer be. You are now unplugged from me. I can no longer walk with you and talk about why. Because what does light have to do with darkness? God could no longer walk with Adam and Eve and be a part of their life and they could be in union together and enjoy each other's company. They couldn't. Why? Because they are now darkness and God is light. God cannot mix with, with, with darkness. He wants to. He wants. He loves his creation. He loves, as a matter of fact, when God went after they sinned, God came in searching for Adam. Searching, man, where are you? I miss this. Rela- I want this relationship. But it was severed. It was unplugged. Man became darkness. Not only did the spirit of mankind die, but unplugged from God, separated from God. Not only did man die, but creation died. The world was broken after that. There became storms and earthquakes. All that stuff was never in plan. It was all a part of separating from the presence of God. And there was no way to get that back. Man could not get back to God. Even if Adam and Eve were able to live a perfect life after that, it wouldn't repair the broken cord. It wouldn't repair not being connected. There was no way to reconnect because why? Because man is dark and God is light and we cannot fix that man. There's no way that man could ever restore that relationship. There was no way. And after that fall, it was like, now, humans, mankind, starting with Adam and Eve and going on, and you know, if some of you know the story, then murder and deception and evil just became a part of mankind. It got so bad that it led to the flood of the earth, and we're not going to go down that road, but it got so bad where God's presence is no longer connected with mankind. It's lost. And there's no way to restore it. There's no way to get it back. What's done is done. That fallen, broken nature, that death that happened in the spirit of mankind was passed on to you and I today. That that from our parents, from, from man, from Adam and Eve all the way down, every human being has this broken nature. That every one of us, when we we choose right from wrong, every one of us choose wrong over and over and over and over again. It's just in us. We can't break that cycle of choosing wrong. We can't, we can't, we can't live godly. We can't be light all by ourselves. We can't. There is no way to restore that relationship. It is over. God's plan for us was finished. 
But because God loved us so much, God loved mankind so much, created in His own image as His children. He loved us so much. He knew there was nothing we could do to restore that relationship. We could never be right and godly and pure and light like God ever, ever again. No one could live that way. So God had a plan. God said, I miss you so much. I want you so much. I am going to do something. We find it right away, I think, chapter 3 of Genesis. It says this. This is God talking. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. This is God talking to Satan himself who deceived. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right away after man fell, there's no way to restore it. God said, I will fix this. I will put enmity between you. He will come. The way I will fix this, he will come and he will give you, Satan, a devastating blow that will take your life and you will crush his heel. And this whole thing was talking about the only way to restore mankind in a relationship is through Jesus Christ. I will send somebody to do it. Mankind is helpless and hopeless. Mankind can never ever be like God again, ever. So I will take care of it. And I will send a Savior. What is Christianity all about? It's a relationship with God. It's a relationship with God is what Christianity is all about. Let's make Christianity great again by understanding and renewing and being engaged in that relationship that he had with Adam and Eve, that you and I would walk in this relationship. It would start today and it would go through all eternity. It would never be broken in a relationship with God. But that relationship restored had to come from God himself. And this is, the Bible explains this. You've heard it a million times. You've seen it other places. But do you really understand, and I, I hope that all of us can be renewed in really understanding what this is all about, what Christianity is all about, what this whole book is all about was that relationship and God restoring that relationship. Everything in here is about God restoring that relationship again. Very familiar passage of Scripture. For God so loved the world. God loves people. Like Adam and Eve, when he created them, his love is like, all my love is on you, and I'm creating you like me. You're one of my children. This, this love can never be measured. It can't be comprehended how much God loves you. He loves his creation so much that God loved us so much, and he saw us in this broken relationship that we cannot connect with him. That God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. I love you so much. You can't restore this relationship. You will live forever without me being a part of your life. Oh, you will see parts of my glory and creation. 
You will, you will be blessed by some of my benefits. I make it rain. I make it sun, the sunshine. But you will never know me and experience me without my son. Sent my one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That whoever believes in his son would be reunited with him. It's all about Jesus. Making Christianity great again is all about Jesus coming to restore this relationship. It's not about how we live. It's not about how we act. It is hopeless. It is helpless. We cannot possibly restore this relationship on our own. I think so many times, and it just, I don't know where it comes from. It's, it's just uh, Christianity drifts. We change things, but most of us have believed one time in our life, and many of us still believe this today, that if we live good, we can be with God. Who made that up? That is so not true. It's what this whole Bible's about. That is so not true. And you know what? I've probably done hundreds of funerals in my, in my life, and it seems like so oftentimes, everywhere, every, like, People, people will say, because they love their loved ones, you know, like, well, they were so good, they'll be in heaven. Nobody's that good. God knows. You cannot restore that relationship by your behavior. And a lot of people think, well, I, I live good, or I follow the Ten Commandments. Like, really do you? Listen, the Bible explains this Jesus thing so clear. I hope and pray we all understand this and get this. He says this, Paul addressing the Roman church. By the way, the letter that Paul sent to the Roman church, he had never been there. He didn't start it. This is one of the most Christian doctrinal letters you will ever read about what is Christianity is, is in the, the letter to the Romans. He says this, therefore, he, before this he's talking about how foolish we can be. He says, therefore, no one will, no one, I can talk. Let's calm down. I feel like I'm in such a hurry. i got to really talk fast. Shaheen's watching. He said, hey, you better be done on time. Okay, fine. Therefore, no one will will be declared right with God. No one's going to reestablish and reconnect this relationship with God. No one will be declared righteous or in right standing with God in God's sight, by the works of the law. No one is going to be reestablished in relationship with God by doing works. No one. As a matter of fact, he goes on, I love this, rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. It just cracks me up when I see signs sometimes. Ten commandments, not ten suggestions, as if we can follow them. Now, you can try. There's nothing wrong with that. Go ahead and try. You'll fail. Somehow, somehow we think the ten commandments are like, you have to follow. If you can follow these ten commandments, you will restore your relationship with God. You'll be right with God. Bull. I didn't swear. Calm down. We cannot. As a matter of fact, I love, I love how clear the Bible is that, 
these Ten Commandments that we have, you know, don't kill, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, keep God first, all that stuff. Those things were given so that you and I could not deceive ourselves and think I'm good enough. They weren't giving so that you will follow them because no one can follow them. No one. Not you, not your grandmother. No one. But they're there so you and I can look, you and I can look at those Ten Commandments and say, I am never going to make it. We look at those Ten Commandments and say, I don't have the ability to restore a relationship with God. I fail at all ten of them just about daily. Those Ten Commandments are to prove to you and I we can't do it. That's what they're for. To prove to us we can't do it. We can't make it. No one will be declared right in God's eyes by observing the law. But rather, through the law, we can see that we fall short. Thank God he put that law there because some of us might think we're good enough. Thank God that that's there. So you and I know we need a Savior. We need something outside of ourselves. I love it. It goes on. You guys, this is so clear. This is, this is making Christianity great again. This is what this is all about. Christianity is about this. Now, apart from the law, okay? The law is here. We can't, apart, separate from behavior, separate from being good, Apart from the law, the righteousness, the rightness of God has been made known. Apart from the law, God brings to us and reveals us his very perfection, his righteousness, his purity, his cleanliness, his light compared to our darkness. That this has been, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The Old Testament's all about this coming. This happening. He says, this righteousness is given. It's not earned. It's not followed. It's not attained by our efforts. It is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Christianity and making Christianity great again is getting back to what this is all about. It's about God's incredible grace through Jesus Christ, so we can know God and be one with God, restoring the broken relationship between mankind and God. We cannot earn it. It is a gift. That gift is to be received. How do I get that gift? By being baptized, by being confirmed, by taking communion? But no. You get that gift the gift of God's holy perfection is given to you as a gift and you receive it by faith in Jesus Christ when you believe that Jesus was the perfect Son of God. And you believe He lived a sinless life. When you believe and understand and acknowledge that He became sin and died for us, he who knew no sin became sin so that when you and I believe in him that we can become the righteousness of God. It is a free gift. He goes on. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, 
male and female, white and black, rich and poor. There is no difference in anybody. We're all the same in this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person falls short. I just, you guys, no one is good enough. Well, they're pretty good. They'll be with God. Nobody's that good. Everybody sins. You sin. You're a sinner. How do you like that? Go home and tell you, yeah, I went to church today. I was told I was a sinner. Until you know you're a sinner, you can't know God. You will never know God until you first understand, I'm a sinner. I fall short. There's no way I can live up to it. There's no way going to church every day, living on my knees, praying all the time. I will never, ever restore perfection with God. I'm a sinner. He says, we all fall short of the glory of God, but we all in the same way. This is the best news in the world. This is Christianity. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Everybody can know God again. Not by our efforts, not by what we do, but by what we believe that Jesus was that answer. To restore that broken relationship, God said, I have a plan. I will send my perfect son who won't sin and he will take your sin to the cross. He will pay the penalty in which you owe. He will pay your debt so you can go free and know God. I will give them my righteous purity as a gift. Listen to this. This is, this is Christianity. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. In other words, settle up for that broken relationship, that sin. The day you sin, you will surely die. Jesus took that death so we could be restored. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, his death, to be received by faith. Do you want to know God? Do you want to live with him forever? You don't have to wait for heaven. You can do it now and experience God. Have this relationship with God. You can live with us, walk with us, be with us, be a part of our lives. Not by our efforts, not by us being good, not by us doing right. We fail. It is received by believing that Jesus took our place. Jesus died for us. Today we're going to have communion together, and the reason we don't have communion normally on Sunday, we always do communion once a month on night of worship, and there's a big reason for that is because we don't want to cheapen communion. We don't want to just do it every month because, oh, it's the third Sunday of the month, let's do communion. This, is, this, is, this means too much to do that. And we don't have to have communion in church. It's, it's what communion means. There's nothing holy or sacred about communion. We, you can have communion at home. You can, you can do this at home. It's, it's the faith aspect, and it's just these elements that Jesus Christ instituted so that you and I will be reminded so we don't drift and think Christianity's become something else. Christianity has not become something else. And this is a reminder for us that Christianity is about the death of burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Last Supper. 
Jesus was about to go to the cross and pay the ultimate sacrifice for us. He went around the table and he, he gave bread to each one of them. And he said this, he said, this bread represents my blood or my body, which is broken for you. I am giving up my innocent life for you. Don't ever, ever forget the cost of salvation. Then after supper, he took the cup and he passed that around and he said the same thing. He said, this cup represents my blood, which was given for you as a sacrifice of atonement for your sins. It represents, I have given up my innocent life in place of the guilty. And don't ever forget it. That's what communion represents. And as we have communion today, instructions, there's, there's, a, there's five things. Up every aisle, you can go there and take a cracker, take up. They're all in cups so that nobody has to touch other people's stuff. It's all safe. Uh, take that, bring it back to your seat. And when you do and you're holding them, put your faith in Jesus Christ. That what we're holding represents our only way to restore relationship. It was by the death of the innocent so the guilty could go free. On each table, there's a little piece of paper there that says, I've put my trust in Jesus Christ for the first time today. Or I've put my trust in Jesus Christ a, a long time ago or a while ago. And if you would just take the pen and mark which one of them is yours, because for some of you, you've taken communion before. You've been a part of church. But you can't remember when you've actually put your trust completely in Jesus. Because you've thought before that being good kind of adds to it. Kind of, well, I do this religious thing. It has nothing to do with religious things. It only has to do with believing completely that you're not trusting anything else. You're trusting what Jesus did to restore that relationship. And we're all welcome to have communion today unless you reject Jesus Christ. I and mean, if you're there, you just reject Jesus Christ, then I would just advise you not to have communion. But for the rest of us, even if you've never before, you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today for the very first time. God's incredible love for you that He sent His Son to die in your place, to wash away all your sins so that you could know Him, that we could know God. Let's make Christianity great again by knowing what Christianity is about. It's about Jesus Christ dying in our place so we could know God. Father, I pray for each and every one of us right now. I pray, God, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that there is nothing between us now that we put our trust in what Jesus did for us, that there is no more guilt, no more shame, no more looking down at the ground because of our past or how we behave, but you have taken care of all of it, that we can know you and you can be a part of our lives. We invite your Spirit into our lives. We invite your presence into our lives to be a part of us. May we experience you. May we know you. May we talk with you and walk with you starting today for all eternity. 
Thank you, Father, for your plan of Jesus. Amen. Amen.